So this is the cafeteria. And I'm very excited to be here, and also I don't know who any of these people are. Okay, well, if you're ever here and you need somebody to eat with, I'm happy to I eat do with you. need somebody to eat with. Be glad. Uh, <laughs> glad to. Uh, we are going to talk about culture wars and the culture warriors that wore them. Yes. And how they have real-world real world implications and consequences. You know what? If you have to work in an office and you have to write somewhere, you might as well do it from the Freedom Tower with views of the water, views of New Jersey, of this, you know. Can I just get a coffee? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Can I just get one of these coffees? Oh, you want one of those coffees? I want one of those fancy coffees. I'm Molly Jongfast, special correspondent for Vanity Fair, and I'm in the studio today with Chris Murphy. Say hi, Chris. You must say hi. Say hi right now. Go. I will say hi. Hello. Hi. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm a staff writer at Vanity Fair, and I cover entertainment and popular culture for the Hollywood section. This is the third in a series of bonus episodes from Vanity Fair writers from in and outside the hive. In addition to the regularly scheduled programming from co-hosts Joe Hagan and Emily Jane Fox, Chris Murphy and I had never met. We are now in a room in the Vanity Fair offices, and we are best friends. (laughs) We're in that special period between two enormous cultural moments. Mm. The Super Bowl. Yeah. And the Oscars. Totally. We need a name for this period. Yeah. I feel like it's America's cultural Kinsey scale, you know? (laughs) You're either towards the Oscar side or you're towards the Super Bowl side, everywhere, somewhere in between. It's a spectrum. It's right. a spectrum in terms of what you cherish the most. What are you, what are, where do you fall on that I, spectrum? I mean, I can't, I don't even, I, I now, I, I know what sport they do during the Super Bowl. <laughs> Dayenu, as my people say. Like, okay. I know what sport it is. And so yeah. that is good. Okay, I didn't so always know what okay, sport it so was. Okay, so you're sort of more on the Oscar side of the I, I'm on the Oscar side, yes. Same. I, as you know, I, I cover the Oscars, you know, so I 100%. I'm there, but everybody has a framework right. for both of these and, major cultural events. Exactly. And I would say one thing about the Super Bowl is that the Super Bowl is like 60% Super Bowl, 20% halftime mm. show, and 20% advertisement. So, and that actually adds up to 100%, so that was actually very good math. <laughs> well, I, 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 I figured it out before I started talking because I was worried. Yeah. As I have at times not added up to 100. <laughs> um, but I want to talk to you about this because uh, the Rihanna halftime show was really an interesting cultural phenomenon. The National Football League welcomes you to the Apple Music Super Bowl 57 halftime show. Before it started, we saw right-wing commentators. They're really into satanic, right? Yeah, <laughs> so much satanic panic these days. It really, even before she even stepped foot Right. On to the field, they, you know, they said it was of the devil. Right. Okay. She's dressed in red and she falls from the sky, surrounded by people dressed in white like angels. Do we know the story from the Bible when Satan fell from heaven and he brought down those fallen angels with him? It's exactly what played out on our screens. And meanwhile, it turned out to be all panic and no satanic. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would say it was definitely light on, uh, you know, the Satanism, if right. you will. Other than the fact that she was wearing red, which I, they're so afraid of the color red these days. <laughs> I mean, you'd think. I mean, <laughs> I think they're really afraid of the color black, though. Yeah, that, oh, yeah and I think that actually that I think that's the main problem with uh, a lot of the coverage of the Super Bowl from Rihanna's 
halftime performance to Shirley Ralph's right. song, you know, singing the Black National Anthem really lovely and wonderfully um, at the beginning of the the game. I want to talk about Colin Kaepernick I, for I think, a minute. I think we have to. I think we do. And um, I first of all, I think that I, I feel a lot of um, – Nachis. Mm. I actually don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. It's like a Jewish word for how much you like someone. Oh, okay. I feel a lot of nachis for Colin Kaepernick. No, everybody's laughing at me. I think nachis is a real word. I don't even care. It's my <laughs> word now. I, I trust you. Uh, for Colin Kaepernick. And I want to talk about Rihanna, who refused to perform two years ago because of the treatment of Colin Yeah, so actually, it was actually, not to correct you, but I think it was actually four years ago. It was was 2019, just because, pretty specifically, and I do think this matters, um, because uh, uh, Rihanna said no to turn down the Super Bowl in 2019. She said she wouldn't perform because of the NFL's treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Right, which was beyond the pale Beyond Awful. the pale, ran him yeah. out of the sport yeah. um, for, you know, beginning the kneeling protest um, and so much more. But a really important thing sort of shifted, at least in terms of the halftime show since then, in that Jay-Z and Rock Nation teamed up with the NFL to start programming the halftime show in 2020. And Jay-Z is who discovered Rihanna when she was just a teenager, you know. Before in, she was a billionaire. Before she was a billionaire, when she was just a teenager, um, you know, in the Caribbean um, and discovered her. And, you know, they've had a working relationship for almost 20 years yeah. now. So I think Jay-Z getting on board and it, teaming up with the NFL sort of to democratize and diversify. But I could definitely see Rihanna, you know, changing her mind or being more right. open to the idea of performing at the because Super Bowl of, because of Jay-Z's yeah. involvement. No, I, no question. But I want to talk about Rihanna because— she was not Madonna up there. She was wearing mm-hmm. fully—and again, I'm not making a judgment about her sexuality. I'm just making—I want to point this out so that we can talk about some of the criticism she yes. received. Yes, no, we should. Uh, she's wearing, like, long sleeves. She's wearing a coat. <laughs> Could not—there's not been a more sort of uh, covered up right. and more um, she looked like the Pope. She looked like the Pope. You know, yeah. like a more chaste— Hot Pope. <laughs> yeah, yes. right, I mean, a gorgeous Pope, but— yeah. A more chaste outfit that right. a Super Bowl performer has sort of ever done. And I do think for those, you know, like me who have been a fan of Rihanna since, you know, for the past 20 years, you know, like a huge, huge fan. The thing that makes Rihanna an interesting pop star and the thing that makes her like so compelling is that she doesn't have to do all the tricks and the whistles and the bells and the, you know, the flips and all these things that these other girls right. have to do to get your attention and to, right. to, and to own a stage. Right. She is enough. Her, you know, her music, her is, music enough. is enough. The songs are enough that she's not going to do. She never was one to do like a million costume changes or these like incredibly complicated dances right. or anything. And she brought that same sort of energy of like, I'm enough. My music is enough. My vibe is enough. It was incredibly Rihanna. And it was incredibly well executed. And it was so specific. And it actually sort of like, it, it it was subversive yeah, for her to sur- do, uh, do yeah, nothing. Like, yeah, go, girl, yeah. give us nothing. Yeah. It's really amazing. So conservatives were obsessed with this halftime show. Mm-hmm. They decided it was going to be satanic. She got up there. Nobody knew she was pregnant, or a lot of people didn't no, know she no, was pregnant. No, it was definitely not—it was right. not announced. We did not know right. in the industry that she was Everyone pregnant. was like, she looks a little bit—I oh, don't want to say it. Oh, wait, she's like, I don't know, six, seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. In my mind, celebrities have this very tight rope to walk. Yeah. Of being political and being true to themselves, but also not being 
you know, not killing their careers, totally. right? Because they, you know, and she has been really vocal a- about certain things like she is pro-choice, yep. you know, like most Americans. So all of these anti-choice people were like, look, Rihanna shows you can have it all. It was so crazy how they sort of like bastardized her narrative and just sort of honestly projected their own politics right. onto the performance um, of, you know, this, uh, you know, anti-choice pro-life right. movement just because she's a woman who is performing while pregnant. I mean, she's, you know, one of many women who have done this before. And two, she's been outspokenly pro-choice yeah. her entire career. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're politicizing something that is not political. That is that is not political. And and it sort of backfired in their face. And it's not the only way this happened at the Super Bowl. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's yeah. tweet about Chris <laughs> Stapleton's— uh, Because he was the white guy. Because he was white and has a beard and sings country music. She assumed that, you know, that he is anti-woke, right, and said— I think her tweet was, Chris Stapleton gave the best national anthem ever I could have done without all that other woke stuff. Right. And guess what? Chris Stapleton supports Black Lives Matter and has been vocally, vocally supportive of Black Lives Matter. So that blew up in her right, face. Right, right. So it, it's so <laughs> funny to me um, that the right wing is any sort of cultural moment that they can sort of like you right. know, sneak into and like get into right. the, the Well, they publicize of. themselves with yes. it because it's, I think it's like the worst kind of clout chasing. And it's interesting too because. Most people like football, you know, CT and all that aside. Obviously, that's a whole other conversation. But, like, it's America's game. You have a halftime show for the girls and the gays. You got the football (laughs) for the dudes and the bros. And it's sort of like the maybe the most unifying thing that we have as a country. And yet, you know, the right insisted upon trying to find any way in which to— uh, push their agenda, and they're always yelling at us about our agenda. It's like, actually, right. you're the ones who are doing the agenda pushing. Right. Inside the Hive, we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, it's Radhika Jones, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Super Bowl was last week. We are now into the pre-Oscar run-up. Vanity Fair released today. It's Hollywood issue. Yeah, yeah, that did come up. We're, we're right. gearing into, you know, the big ceremony and the big, you know, Hollywood's biggest night, if you will. Last year's Academy Awards featured a viral moment that yeah. was not good for anyone, any of us ever <laughs> yeah. at all. Across the board, right. it was ultimately a bad thing. <laughs> yes. I do think that is true. Yeah. Um, you must be talking about... The slap the from slap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. yeah, the slap. I. It's interesting because we're talking about, um, you know, how the right takes these cultural moments and sort of, you know, bastardizes and sort of shapes them to, you know, yeah, and co-ops them for whatever narrative they want to push. 
I think that the Oscars are not the hood. I think it's not a bar. The fact that the L.A. sheriff didn't haul this guy out of there at the next commercial break explains why there's such a huge crime problem in this country. They've set the bar pretty high. Mm. There's going to have to be a murder on stage next year uh, to keep those numbers up. So you've got a new show. You've got to be honest, we're all going to be watching it. (laughs) I would watch that. Needless to say, watching, you know, Will Smith smack Chris Rock, two of the most famous black Black men in America, um, engage in, you know, a brief act of physical violence by Will, one side, Will smacking him. Obviously, hitting someone is never a good idea. It's it's bad, it's assault, it's it's terrible. And um, it felt like in the aftermath of the Oscars and then also leading up to this year's ceremony in terms of the way people... Uh, sort of take moments and then project them, you yes. know, it felt like the right sort of felt like, oh, we got you. This is what we've right. always been saying about right. black, black men, men and violence yeah. and, and you know, and uh, policing and all of this stuff. Yeah. And boom, it's on camera, yeah. you've been caught, which was yeah. so unfair and such a... It's just uh, disgusting racism. I mean... Disgusting racism and bastardization yeah. of what happened and taking everything out of context. And honestly, the left didn't help. I mean, there were some tweets, not to call out Judd right. Apatow, the director, he you know, went on a tweet rampage afterwards. He said, Will Smith could have killed him. It's like, right. I'm sorry, I no one's ever Will died from a t- slap. Yeah, I, don't I don't think Will Smith could have killed him. And no. that's only going <laughs> to galvanize the right wing right. and right. and be like, and, right. and have them justify their warped take that, right. that is divorced from reality right. when there's actually really interesting conversations and work that needs to be done in terms of how we, you know, right. we respond to triggers and process, right. you know. And, I, and so... Chris Rock was interviewed recently mm-hmm. and said that he's not even going to California. He's not even going in the state. Well, it's interesting. It's so funny because they did offer him the hosting, the hosting gig, yeah. which obviously does make sense. Um, and he turned it down, which is also fair. Yeah. So we have these Oscars coming up, and we know that the right is really ready to jump on this and to try. And remember, I mean, I think, like, we have to remember that, like, there are three opinion shows on Fox every night. They get millions and millions of viewers, mm-hmm. more than most linear television. And a good deal of those shows are devoted to culture war issues. Yeah. Remember, like, Tucker Carlson, who, by the way, is probably the brain of the Republican Party. That's the scariest sentence <laughs> I've heard all day. <laughs> but all year, even. But, you know, it's devoted time to woke M&Ms. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is what they feel their audience needs and wants. But it does make a lot of sense because this is what gets clicks, right? This is what pe- this is what gets Twitter clicks and Instagram clicks, you know, saying that Rihanna is a Satanist, saying that Kim Petras and Sam Smith, you know, right. the week prior, you know, for their performance of an Unholy at the Grammys, that's satanic panic. Um, and always, 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 always um, picking on marginalized communities, whether right. it's women or women right. of color or the LGBTQ community right. or, trans, or trans, yeah, the trans community. And I also think that, like, there really are these culture war tropes do really fan out into the culture. Yeah. I'll say a credit to the Academy sort of moving away and tying it into the right-wing panic. Since Oscar So White in 2015, when every acting nominee was a white person, right. uh, the Academy has really made a lot of efforts within its membership to diversify. And we are, I think, seeing some of the results of that, you know, expansion in the nominees. We've got everything everywhere all, all at once. I mean, 
primarily Asian-American cast, Michelle Yeoh, is the first ever Asian-American self-identifying woman to be nominated for Best Actress Oscar because— in- I want to talk—I want to—let's talk about this because conservatives immediately jumped on this, and they were so mad. They get they were- so mad, but they don't read the fine print. Right. They don't do the right. research right. 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 in that in the 1930s, there was an actress. Um, uh, I think her name is Merle. Um, yeah. Uh, Merle Oberon, right? Um, who is was, a- was Asian? She was half British. She was British Indian, uh, right? Uh, but she hid her Indian descent so that she could make it in when? Hollywood. So yeah, yeah she, and she was nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars, right? So yeah. there's a reason why you know we have these nuanced ways to explain things. Right. Where it's, like, it's Michelle, not yeah. right because they were like these people want to be called what they are. I self-identify as, you know, whatever. And and it's actually not that. It's, it's actually, actually not that. Yeah. It's actually to be accurate and to pay respect to things that actually happened, happened. in the past yeah. and not forget about the history that sort of came before. So we're going to talk about the life cycle of a satanic panic moment, right? Yeah. And we're, so I think we should talk about satanic M&Ms. Uh, that's exactly where my head was going, too. <laughs> uh, Tucker Carlson found out that uh, M&Ms were going to desexualize or, or just sort of— Really, it started because one—I I'm, I'm, I think it was the green M&M. She used to wear these cute little boots. Right. And then she, they put her in sneakers. Right. And that, to Tucker Carlson, I guess, signaled the death of, you know— American culture. American culture. Yeah. M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you're totally turned off— We've achieved equity. They've won. Because remember, Tucker Carlson is always looking for culture wars, mm-hmm. you know, from the gas stoves. Remember the gas stoves? Oh, who could forget? I have a gas stove. Right. <laughs> I have a gas stove, too. Yeah, pretty I mean, good. And, I feel pretty fine. I, th- I mean, they're definitely better for cooking, <laughs> but I don't really cook, so I don't yeah, care. Same, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so there was gas stoves. I mean, one of the great examples, too, was um, you'll remember Mayor P- Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who was transportation secretary, mm-hmm. had said that there were these uh, racist highways. And he was talking about the incredibly racist legacy of Robert <laughs> Moses. Yes, yes. Right, just, where he— Well-documented. Right. Destroyed the Bronx. Right. He built huge highways yes. so that people didn't have to stop— Mm-hmm. In the black neighborhoods. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And he did that by destroying them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you. there are many things to disagree with Mayor Pete about, but this one is pretty documented. Yeah. And so uh, when Tucker Carlson takes these, you know, the M&Ms, the racist highways, he puts them, he talks about them on his show, right? But without context, largely. Yes. He takes them out of context. Right. He says, he puts his opinion, you know, right. tells his base, this is what's this is what's true about, you know, the desexualization of the M&Ms. Or, or the history of Robert Moses. We don't hear the history of Robert Moses. No, we no. don't. We just hear his sort of, you know, sound Racist bites. highways. I don't know anybody who watches <laughs> Tucker Carlson or who watches, or, you know, and I also, especially, in, I guess, with millennials and Gen Z, it's like, not, we're not the MSNBC, just have right, the, they don't the news. watch linear. Not watch linear, right, so then these right, clips Twitter. that get even more they, right. um, condensed, and they filter onto Twitter, Twitter and TikTok. Right. And that's how we consume and our, and Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we have also YouTube streamers who run with this, and we ultimately have an entire news cycle, a satanic panic about uh, whether or not the M&M girl, the girl M&M, 
uh, should wear sneakers or boots. And then it turns out the whole entire thing was a Super Bowl ad. Right. <laughs> so then it turns out the whole entire thing was just a marketing ploy. Sponsored content. Sponsored content, and it was all for naught. Right. And yet it ends up sort of stoking the flames, especially for the people who are, are you know, Tucker Carlson and these right-wing pundits are speaking to who right. who uh, want the good old-fashioned American M&M and right. love their racist right. highway right. Right. and are hearing their, you know— innermost thoughts being preached back to them without any of the context. And that's such a thing that we've been talking about this whole episode is the context matters in terms of, you know, all all these news clips and this information that gets, like, you know, just, like, siphoned down to, like, you know, one, you know, 30-second TikTok. But I do think if there is sort of, like, a through line or, like, something that connects all of these disparate ideas and all the culture wars is that the right... uh, sort of benefits and and often tries to erase context and sort of erase history because that serves their narrative and it's really important to have context and to and yeah. to have the history yeah. and to make sure that we're telling the full story even if it's yeah. you know parts that we don't and, necessarily want to yeah and, and i think that's important we're in a run-up to an election now yeah. because all of American life is either a run-up to an election <laughs> or right or fighting about the election yes. that just happened. So we had these midterms in November. Now we're in whatever month this is, February. Yeah, we're in February. And <laughs> the fascinating thing about these midterms is we saw that culture wars, did, American people don't like it. Yeah. No, 100%. <laughs> they don't like it. They don't want it. And so Republicans are going to keep doing it. They will. And, and it's really interesting, I think, a name that has been bandied about a lot, and you can please correct me, I'm not a political correspondent, but it feels like Ron DeSantis has gained a lot of steam in the Republican Party and is a name that is sort of, you know, being thrown about in terms of a nominee. And he's, you know, he's engaging in autocrat and engaging in culture wars via College Board and African-American studies. So this, like, this lack of context, it it galvanizes their base and then they use it to literally gain power and influence and, you know— potentially, you know, trump their way all the way to the White House. Exactly. We got to keep fighting the good fight and providing context and and not forgetting history. Yeah. I guess that's the only way, that's the only thing we can do. That was so fun. That was such a fun. Really fun. This episode of Inside the Hive was produced by Will Coley. Steve Valentino is our executive producer. We had engineering assistance from Jake Loomis. For more news from Inside the Hive, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at vanityfair.com forward slash newsletter forward slash hive. And let us know what you thought of this episode. Or if you have any comments or questions, please harass me on Twitter. It would not be harassment. It would be a delight. I have open DMs. I'm at Molly Jongfast. And I'm at Christmas. Next week, join us again for Inside the Hive, where Wall Street, Washington, and Silicon Valley meet. Oh, do you do the softball league? I do the softball league. Invite me, because I'll come. You have to come. You have to come. I'm never going to invite you. Oh, my gosh. I will invite you.